and welcome to the Remember the Girls podcast. I'm Emma Bliss, president of Remember the Girls and a carrier of X-linked myotubular myopathy, or MTM, a rare neuromuscular disorder. Remember the Girls is a nonprofit organization founded in 2017 with a mission to support and advocate for female carriers of X-linked genetic disorders. Our sole purpose is to provide collaboration, education, and growth to our community and spread awareness of X-linked women patients and their symptoms to the world of medicine and genetics. We do this by sharing our own personal journeys with you, along with many other brave women. Pat Furlong is the founding president and chief executive officer of Parent Project Muscular Dystrophy, the largest nonprofit organization in the United States focused on Duchenne muscular dystrophy. After her two sons were diagnosed with Duchenne, Ms. Furlong joined other parents to found PPMD in 1994. The mission of PPMD is to end Duchenne. PPMD invests in research and has leveraged more than $500 million, advancing every possible opportunity to accelerate therapy development. PPMD is focused on three major goals, impact, influence, and change policy. Since 2000, PPMD has influenced policy, Children's Health Act, MD Care Act, Congressionally Directed Medical Research Program, written guidance for FDA in 2016, and is currently developing draft guidance to include June therapy. With the goal of ensuring every single person diagnosed with Duchenne or Becker have access to optimal care, opportunities to participate in clinical trials, and have access to therapy. Ms. Furlong has served on the boards of the Genetic Alliance and the National Organization for Rare Disorders, the National Institutes of Health Muscular Dystrophy Coordinating Committee and the Institute of Medicine's Committee on Pediatric Studies conducted under BPCA and PREA and the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Molecular and Clinical Genetics Panel. For her leadership in changing the course of Duchenne, Ms. Furlong was named among the top 50 orphan drug thought leaders by the World Orphan Drug Congress in 2014. She received the 2012 Global Genes Rare Champion of Hope Advocacy Award and the 2008 Research America Advocacy Award. She serves on the board of the ARM Foundation and the Advisory Board of Orphan Disease Center at UPenn. That is amazing. Pat, welcome and hello. We are so grateful to have you here with us today. Um, I'd love to open the space up for you to share a little bit about your journey. Emma, thank you. It's, it's a pleasure to be here and certainly a pleasure to join Remember the Girls. I think that topic is so important for me. So my sons were diagnosed very long time ago, actually 1984. I had no family history. Um, in fact, my, my family is predominantly from Germany and Switzerland. And I remember as a little girl, they, they would say, you're from good stock, which reminded me of a cow with a brand on their bottom. Um, so I didn't really know how to interpret good stock, but that sounded okay to me. Um, in, in 1984 and prior to that, um, I, we have four children, two little boys and two little girls at the time. And the girls, they were stair-step children. Uh, my daughter, Jenny was the oldest, then Michelle, then Christopher and Patrick, all about two years apart. We had these four little kids and they were growing. My husband's a physician. I had been in nursing and I was teaching at the hospital. So we felt like, you know, this was our family and we're going to watch them grow. 
but I worried about my sons, Chris and Pat, because they didn't keep up with their peers. They really struggled on stairs. Um, they had these huge calf muscles that, that my mother would say they're going to be a football player, right? So they had these football player legs. And, and traditionally in our family, my husband played football for Notre Dame. So it seemed to all, that story seemed to go in sync. And then there was a day Chris was playing outside and trying to ride a bike, which he really couldn't pedal very well. And, and he must have hurt his Achilles tendon because it started to swell and he started to cry and we brought him inside the house um, and he spent a pretty restless night. And in the morning, when my husband was going to his office, he came to the door to wake us and he said he had called a, a friend of ours, an orthopedic surgeon, and he said, I want you to go see Steve. And um, he had tears in his eyes. So I said, um, not being a pediatric nurse, I was in adult med surge nursing, transplant, renal dialysis. So in my view, children didn't get sick um, because I was much more comfortable uh, taking care of adults. So with tears in his eyes, he said, I don't know what this is. And I said, but you must have a clue. And he said, no, I don't know what it is. So um, I went to see Steve, our friend who's an orthopedic surgeon. He, he knew I was coming. I had Chris, I carried Chris in. Chris was just about five and a half, six years old. And he met me in the waiting room and he just took a look at Chris and just out of his mouth came Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So um, he asked me what Patrick looked like. And I said, Patrick's two years younger, but same, same body, same, 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 everything, right? And he said, then you have two with Duchenne. We then, the typical diagnostic um, pattern then was to go down to St. Children's Hospital where there was a three or four day workup where the children were admitted. They had all sorts of tests that in retrospect were silly to include in an EMG, which was barbaric to, to these little ones at the time. And I met up with a physician who stared at me and said, then you're a carrier. Um, I, he said, well, you know, you should have known about this. You should have known you were a carrier. And, and I said, I'm not really clear how I would have known that because I have three older brothers who are healthy. I have cousins everywhere who are healthy. I didn't mention the big, the good stock business. I didn't think he'd appreciate that. So, um, so, so um, the assumption on his part was that I was a carrier. Now this was very long time ago. And so sequencing the gene was not, genetic tests weren't readily available. Um, they, in 1984, they hadn't even cloned the gene. So, so we didn't even have a gene defined at the time um, and to make the assumption that I was a carrier. So years passed and genetic testing became available. And in fact, I was, I was tested and I um, identified as a genetic carrier of this disease. I worry um, about that um, because I think the impact of the status of carrier felt to me like an emotional sledgehammer, right? It felt like um, it was pretty heavy burden to carry because of the guilt associated with that diagnosis and the fact that then I passed along this genetic variant to my sons, which resulted in a disease that, with a trajectory that ends in death and they died at 15 and 17. It also had impact on my daughters, right? Did they carry the genetic variant? And I think the, the term carrier was so hard for me, it still remains a hard, very hard term because my first question is, what am I carrying? And my second question is, is, is the stigma that's associated with that term carrier. So I think in, in my view, we're trying to get, in, in, in Duchenne, we're trying to get away from genetic carrier and talk more about females with dystrophinopathy. So I was diagnosed a carrier and obviously have um, thought about it for a very long time, thought about its implications and thought about that impact on women who have variants in their X chromosome. 
that are disease causing to their offspring and how hard that is. So fast forward, I, as you mentioned, I found some other parents who were quite interested and we formed a community and um, still today work in Duchenne, not just in looking at research and care for people with a diagnosis, but also looking at females uh, that are carriers or females with dystrophinopathy and how we can make sure that we serve them well, that we understand if they're symptomatic, that we promote self-care and certainly not just self-care about their hearts or skeletal muscle, but self-care about themselves as women and their mental health. Yes, uh, terminology is so important in our community. I, again, the carrier term is something we discuss every once in a while. And it's like, should we uh, remove the term carrier completely and use something else? Or should we try to rebrand the term carrier? It's a conversation we have and we don't know what to do. Um, but I agree, terminology is so important. Um, you mentioned mutation versus variant too. That one is very interesting, um, but it's not talked about as much in that I have heard, um, but it makes sense. Yeah, uh, so, so it, you know, I think that again, I, you know, I, and I apologize, I'm, I'm one of those people that is really stuck on words and the words we use in our interactions as well as medicine and how medicine uses words and, and talks to patients about their condition. Mutation, I don't know, mutation makes me think of the movie about the mutants, right? And it feels re really um, effective. So, I mean, we all have genetic variants. Our genes, you know, obviously change and we have variants. We're seeing variants in the genetics of the of COVID, right? We're seeing the Delta variant and all these other variants. So what happens is, is that our genetics change and, and we have these variants and some of them are disease causing and some of them are not. So I, I think instead of sort of laying out mutation, which feels pretty heavy, I think to talk about genetic variants, some are disease causing and some are not, right? So I, I had hoped we get to more gentle language so that when we're giving a diagnosis, it, it's, it's understandable, it's palatable, and we can work with it instead of walking out the door and feeling we're a mutant of some sort. Yes, I love this. I'm right, taking notes because I think that we should do some kind of survey on this and, and find something, um, some, some either another term or work on rebranding that, that would be an amazing project. Um, so in just a few simple words, Pat, what does being a carrier or a female patient of Duchenne, what does that mean to you? So as I said, it was an emotional sledgehammer to learn about it. Um, it, for me, it, it, it's, you know, it, the genetic variant is disease causing. So it makes me think about, um, think about that responsibility. It makes me, it, it, it makes me wish to prioritize my own health and make sure that I'm healthy and not just, and not just eating right or not drinking as many Diet Cokes as I drink. But, but I think that to, to women who are carriers myself as well, now that I'm, um, all through my life, I've tried to think through uh, my health as a priority because I feel like there's some known genetics here and and so I need to promote my own health so that I can work in this in this area or make sure that I can care for my family appropriately and and so that I have the right information because I have daughters right and so that they can understand what this means to them the implications of that and, and what decisions they can be thinking about along the way yeah I love that um, is there anything that you wish more people knew about carriers of Duchenne muscular dystrophy? I, 
think what I wish is that we're all carriers of something, right? Mm -hmm. that, that to identify as a carrier, um, clearly this variant is Duchenne, right? But everyone's a carrier of something, right? Maybe we have it, maybe it's a disease causing, but maybe it is, right? And maybe we find out along the way. But I think it, if we could, if we could take the sting away from that and recognize that our genetics, as amazing as genetics are, can, can cause some other, uh, can cause disease, maybe in ourselves or others. And I think if, if we try to embrace the genetics of ourselves and be more accepting of ourselves and each other, it would be very helpful. I love that. That's wonderful. Um, I'd love to know more about the research efforts that you've been a part of, um, and if there are any research efforts that are directed towards uh, women and female patients of Duchenne. Yeah, so long ago, um, Cincinnati Children's Hospital had a uh, cardiac MRI study because in Duchenne, um, Duchenne affects all muscles. So there's a, there's, a, there's a huge protein called dystrophin that's missing in tissue. It's missing in all tissue, every single tissue of the body. Where we see symptoms is skeletal muscle. We see cardiac issues. We see smooth muscle issue. But the smooth muscle has certainly not been well studied at this moment. But so, uh, so I think in in that regard, um, I, because there was some work that came out, and I can't recall. It's been many years ago that said all carriers of Duchenne muscular dystrophy are going to have cardiac problems. Well, that scares the BGBs out of you. So um, to, to work and try to understand if that's true and what percentage of women would likely have cardiac issues, since a children's conducted a cardiac MRI study long ago, and I had a cardiac MRI, it's been more than 10 years ago since a children's hospital. So during that cardiac MRI study, it was kind of humorous at a children's hospital to have, you know, I was probably one of the oldest patients in that day. Um, but the cardiac MRI, in my case, I'm very lucky to say it was totally negative. Um, uh, and so it was clean and there was no fibrosis. So I, I was very lucky. But they found women with cardiac issues. So that over time has led us to be interested in and I've always been interested in carrier issues, right? How do we promote self-care? How do we think about our, you know, I said once um, that I think all carriers are manifesting. I, I said that to a couple of docs who collapsed and said that was crazy. But I said, you know, carriers are symptomatic sometimes with muscle disease or cardiac disease, but we're all symptomatic of in, in our emotional uh, state, right? Because we have this known. So we are all symptomatic of the disease variant we carry. So emotionally, I think this is something that we need to take in, into account. So we, we then uh, provided some support to a grant to Nationwide Children's Hospital, and they were exploring and, and really evaluating carriers to see what we don't know is how many, what percentage of carriers are going to have um, skeletal muscle weakness or cardiac issues. And so we'd like to be able to identify the risk, right? It's 5%, it's 50%, it's 100%, somewhere in there, right? At least for females to have that and, and their families to have that on their mind. And to also think about in if, if there is a risk, do you, do you treat with, I don't know, an ACE inhibitor or a cardiac drug as prevention? So how do we take care of these women? So that study of identifying, and we certainly in that study found some females with cardiomyopathy, we found some with muscle weakness. We are also now knowing families, um, we know a, a family um, in the South who uh, mom is a carrier and she has two daughters who are, who are weak. They can't jump, they can't run. So what, you know, 
these women, those little girls wouldn't be eligible for a therapy because they're female carriers, right? So how do we, how do we look at this disease and say, you know, there are people affected, both male and female, males, typically we see the, the muscle weakness exhibit itself and cardiac issues and smooth muscle issues, which as I say, is not well explored, but how do we then embrace these women? So we've had meetings to discuss um, how best to serve. And now we're talking to a couple clinics. We just had a call today to talk about developing while we have certified Duchenne care centers in the United States, we have 28 of them. Should we then expand that to the other side to care for the females, um, the females with dystrophinopathy or the carriers that are identified. We're also working on a newborn screening program and we hope to submit to the RUSP. We'd love to get Duchenne um, on the federal register for newborn screening. But in that screening program, we're going to identify little girls as well. So we could identify because if, if the statistics are one in 46 to one in 5,000, boys will have Duchenne, but the same number of one in 4,600 to 5,000 of females will be carriers. So wouldn't it be wonderful if we could identify those, those female carriers or females with dystrophinopathy, observe them, make sure that we know how their hearts and skeletal muscles are doing, give them the information they'll need as they grow up to make decisions in their life about where they live, what healthcare system they're in, what job they're in, and what reproductive options they have. So I think when we look at Duchenne muscular dystrophy, there are, it is all of us. It is not just a few of us with the diagnosis and symptoms. It is all of us because we're all symptomatic in one way or the other. And we need to make sure that we deliver the best care to all of us. Yeah. You mentioned gene therapy as well. Is that something that is only for the boys at this time or is it is it including the females as well? No. Well, in, so first of all, the gene therapy studies have, have just gotten underway in the past couple of years. So we're in what, what people refer to as early days or, or initial studies. And all of the studies have invo involved males, okay. um, very young, in general, young males, although some of the open label studies have included some older patients in there. So um, in, in this current um, environment of, of gene therapies, what the, the companies, and there's five with growing numbers of companies entering the space, they're delivering a, a very small protein. So the dystrophin protein is very big. Um, it's one of the largest genes in the human genome with the largest associated protein next to Titan. So it's not a gene that you can stick into one of those adenovirus, adeno-associated viruses because the carrying capacity is not there. So instead there is a synthetic version of the protein that's squished down to be very small. It's called a microdystrophin. It contains all the important elements about the attachments to the, to the connections, the C and the N terminus. And then they're delivering this microdystrophin with the hope that you know, it can, for the individuals they're treating, um, preserve their muscle function for maybe ever, for 10 years. We, early days. There's lots of uncertainties here about what's the durability, what's the safety. I, and, and right now, I can't say this is definitive, but I can say that even if we had a young female manifesting carrier that, that was in that age range, right now they're recruiting around four to seven years old, um, they'll probably expand that. If we had a very severely affected female, I don't, I don't think that they'd be included in the protocol, right? Because they're still labeled carriers because right right? It's X-linked. So I'm not sure, but I think what we as a community have to make sure of is we are, are making, we should make sure that these therapies are delivered to the people 
who could best be, benefit from them, and that includes gene therapy. We do have some females that have been on. We have four. We have four approved therapies, five approved therapies, four in uh, for antisense oligonucleotides, which is an approach that basically gets dystrophin expressed based on skipping an exon. And then we have um, a, a steroid that's approved called Implaza. So I think that, again, we have to worry about the labels of these drugs. If we can't, you know, we don't want the labels to say for males with this dystrophin, right? And, and we do know of, I know of two young women, perhaps there are more that are on an antisense therapy because of their X-linked um, and they're amenable to skipping a particular exon. I don't think we have data on how they're doing, but I think it is absolutely correct that these females who are weak, that are amenable to a particular exon skip that's approved, should have access to the therapy. Um, so we have to care for everyone, right? We can't rule out anybody based on carrier or based on what. Absolutely. Um, and that brings this question, what challenges do you think our future will hold as carriers? And what do you hope for the future of carriers? Hope to identify them earlier. I'm hopeful that moms of children with Duchenne would be willing to get genetic testing. We have a free genetic testing program for carriers uh, in PPMD called Deco Duchenne. So I'm hopeful that they get testing. I'm hopeful that they would talk to their daughter, should they have daughters or female cousins or sisters, to, to pedigree and understand who's at risk in the family. Because I think Knowledge is important, right? And it's it's powerful. And then you can decide what you want to do without anyone. What is it that if somebody hasn't walked in your shoes for a month, they don't deserve to tell you how to walk in them. So I think that's right. But I think having the knowledge is really important. And if I look in the future, I would I would hope that our our um, care centers would include centers of excellence for for female carriers, so that they would be identified. It would be recognized that this is emotionally very difficult. It is very difficult to inform your family um, and provide some support um, about that, right? It, it also impacts who you are and how you appear to yourself. Sometimes you think I'm defective and I am, am not good enough or I shouldn't have children or my husband won't like me anymore. Or my family won't, you know, because of this carrier, right? Because it feels so heavy to carry. So I'm hoping that we have not only um, centers of excellence for people with the diagnosis, um, but I'm hopeful that females are included within this diagnosis as females with dystrophinopathy that we provide, that we have published standards of care for them, that we are collecting data on them so that we can understand the risk, so that we know about prevention. If, if we can, you know, if we think about heart disease, can we prevent it? Is that a reasonable thing to recommend? How will we know? Um, and to get some data so that we can really follow these women so that they have long, full lives, so they take care of themselves, and so that they're, they feel valued, appreciated, and this carrier is well understood. Yeah, I love your emphasis on self-care, Pat. I love it. It's, it's so important, and it, I feel that it sometimes gets pushed to the wayside um, in things in, in, as a carrier. Things are at, there's other things going on, and we forget to, that self-care is so important as a carrier. Um, so if you could go back to before you were diagnosed as a carrier, um, what would you tell yourself? I, I think that I would probably try to keep in mind this was a while ago, we didn't probably have this, but I think I would understand genetics, right? That there are genetic variants that we all carry, right? These genes like that horrible pandemic we're experiencing, we see genetic variation, right? 
I think I would explain to myself that genetic variation occurs, whether it's, you know, whether it's simple enough and, and you look different than your family because of how the genes lined up, that you are taller than everyone or shorter than everyone or whatever, that genetic variance occurs. Some are disease causing. And if they're disease causing, they're not because you did anything that you, you know, drank too many Diet Cokes, you talked to the wrong person, you, what, whatever, because I think our religion and culture and philosophy all comes into play here. Because I think when, when you're diagnosed a carrier, you want to point the finger, I did this or they did that. And this is how this all happened because we're humans and we'd like to explain things. Variants occur, not because of human intervention in this particular case, right? Because they occur. And I think that I would tell myself to be gentle about the knowledge that I would gain over time. It, it's not an isolated incident, incident that you are the only person in the world that's a carrier and you know it's somebody's fault or your fault or um, you should feel guilty. Uh, we all have variants, whether they're disease causing or not. And I think giving yourself permission to be gentle to yourself, to take a few minutes and walk around the block, even that if that's in tears or screaming or yelling or five o'clock, have a glass of wine, whatever seems to give you that time to take a deep breath. I think my vision for all of us is be gentle, right? Yeah. Yeah. As a mother and a caregiver too, I find that going towards guilt is an easy theme or a common theme as is just being a parent. Um, and we just need, we need to be gentle on ourselves. We need to give ourselves some grace in, in yeah. life. Guilt is our default setting, right? You know, it's my fault. I, um, we did some work with women and um, we talked about roles and identities. And one of the women um, on, in, our, in our group said, uh, when we talk about roles, she said, I feel like I'm the kitchen junk drawer because of all the roles that are given to me. And, and so we talked about the fact that give yourself grace, right? Mm -hmm. Take some of those roles and some of the junk in the kitchen drawer and pitch it because it's there too long and it's yeah. not going anywhere. So I think be gentle. Um, recognize that genetics is fascinating, frustrating, and sometimes heartbreaking, breaking, right? And so that's kind of how I look at this, fascinating, frustrating, and often heartbreaking. But if you're gentle, then we can work with it, take care of you, and then you'll be better to take care of your family. I love it. Um, okay, to end this conversation, I would love for you to give me your one word. Uh, when you think of Remember the Girls and the future for women carriers of X-linked disorders, what is the first word that comes to mind? Grace. <laughs>